Hello, residents. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance, my personal disability and life insurance agent, and today is round number I believe it's round number 31 of the game. I'm starting to have trouble keeping track. We're going to try another structured interviewed case today. Again, for those of you who don't know, ABEM got rid of triple cases and replaced it with this new format of case. Lots of back and forth questions, that kind of thing. Not as much role playing. And these are intended to evaluate further how the candidate is thinking about a case and not just that they know certain steps to take or like a certain protocol, but actually gets into how they think. Mike will still have 15 minutes to complete this case. This case was created by me. They're not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Mike, how's it going? You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Let's do it. All right, let's let's do it. Dr. Estefan, this is a structured interview case. There is no role painting. I may interrupt you to move through the case, but this is not a reflection of your performance. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? I have no questions. Let's do this. All right. Let me start the timer here. Timer is started. Dr. Estefan, the patient we will be discussing is a 39-year-old female who comes in from EMS, poorly responsive. EMS states that they were called when one of her friends found her in the bathroom unconscious, and she was brought here. She's afebrile. Her heart rate is 70 beats per minute. Her respirations are 6, and her O2 saturation is 88%. She is unable to provide any history at this time. Dr. Estefan, given the limited initial history, please give me three alternative sources of obtaining information regarding this patient. Um, I would like information from EMS, um, mainly what they saw at the scene, who else was there at the scene, um, and kind of things around the scene. Were there empty pill bottles, empty bottles of alcohol, um, open needles, etc.? Um, let's see. If we have anything in the patient's chart um, from prior visits, I mean, do we know who this patient is at all? Am I able to use the EMR? Yeah, there's a, a driver's license in her purse, and her name is Sarah Johnson. Great. Um, yeah, so EMS, so um, checking her charts for prior visits and anything that we might have on her. Um, if she had any friends who ended up coming to the hospital um, or any other contacts listed in her chart, um, those would be kind of my three sources of information to start with. You state that you would discuss with her friends. What sort of questions would you ask them? Um, I would ask regarding, I would ask questions regarding the situation leading to them calling 911. You know, um, were there any drugs involved? Were you guys drinking? Um, could she have been involved in any trauma, et cetera? Sure. Um, so there's no information in the health record on this patient. There are no friends available. Uh, EMS uh, states that her blood sugar was 102. They notify you that they've been called to the house before for drug-related calls. So you go on to perform a physical examination. Her heart is regular rate and rhythm without murmurs or rubs. She has no edema, no JVD. Her lungs are clear to auscultation. Her abdomen is soft and no apparent tenderness. She opens her eyes to painful stimuli but does not speak. 
Given these exam findings, what else would you like to check on physical exam? Um, I would like to check her pupils. Uh, number one, checking for size and responsiveness um, as certain ingestion um, toxidrums can you can get kind of a decent amount of information based on your pupillary exam. I would like to formally calculate her GCS as well. Um, and then I would do a full exam looking for any signs of trauma, any external bruising, any bleeding, any hematomas, anything like that. Okay. You state you would check her pupils. Why? Um, as I said before, um, I would, especially in this exact circumstance, um, I would be looking for pinpoint pupils um, because just kind of based on her vital signs and the story we've gotten, um, something pretty high in my differential would be opioid um, intoxication or overdose. Um, and pinpoint pupils would help with that diagnosis. Alternatively, if she had like a unilateral blown pupil um, with change in mental status, I would be concerned about some kind of intracranial process. Sure. So she has no evidence of head trauma. Her spine has no tenderness or other signs of injury. Her pupils are small, but equal and reactive to light. She moves all four extremities equally to pain. She has track marks on her bilateral upper extremities. Dr. Estefan, in addition to opiate overdose, please give me at least two other items on your differential. She, hypoglycemia is not on my differential because she had a normal sugar. Um, we could say, I mean, given there's, there's no external signs of trauma, but that doesn't mean there can't be internal signs of trauma. So um, intracranial cerebral hemorrhage. Um, would be also on my differential. And then um, I guess other drug intoxication that's not opiates. Um, so uh, being extremely intoxicated with alcohol can present similarly. Okay. So given your differential diagnosis, which tests would you like to order? Um, I would like... Um, mm, <laughs> we got an AccuCheck. That's really what I want to start. I would, um, I don't know if you would consider this a test per se, but with her respiratory rate and her O2 set, this is somebody I would trial Narcan with or naloxone and that would be a test in and of itself. If she woke up after um, naloxone, then and was talking to me and was able to kind of give a story, then I would be much less concerned about some of the other serious diagnoses. However, if she had no response to naloxone, then I would probably be getting a CBC, a BMP, an ethanol level. Um, this could be like a drug overdose, so I would get acetaminophen salicylate level. I would get a head CT. I would do a lot of testing if she did not respond to naloxone. Okay, so she is administered a small dose of naloxone IV, and she wakes up and is conversant. Uh, with that change in her mental status, are there any other tests you'd like to order? Um, at this time, no. As long as she's, you know, GCS 15, talking to us, able to give a story. All right. Um, what would you like to do next? 
Um, I would like to put her on continuous monitoring, so pulse oximetry mainly. We can do tele as well, but really the money is pulse oximetry. And I would like to observe her in the ER um, to make sure that she does not re-overdose when the naloxone wears off. Sure. Is there anything else that you would like to discuss with the patient? Um, I would like to discuss um, the possible possibility of this being a suicide attempt. Um, so I would ask about suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation. Um, and other than that, if the answer is no, I would discuss um, opportunities for seeking help for um, drug addiction, drug abuse, etc. And ultimately, if this patient got discharged, I would discharge her with a home naloxone kit. All right. Um, so after further discussion with the patient, she states that she does want to seek help um, for her opiate addiction and ask you for help. What would you advise? Um, it, so it really kind of is nuanced to the community. Um, so I'm not sure what resources my community has to offer, but that would I would probably discuss with social work first. Um, and then if she were to... Uh, go into withdrawal at any point, um, like significant withdrawal at any point during her stay in the ER, I could offer her um, initiation of buprenorphine, but that's not an option unless she were to go into withdrawal. Sure. Um, so she is not in withdrawal at this time, and you are practicing in a major city with all potential resources available. Um, what would you advise? Um, I would definitely um, reach out to, um, like, we, we have multiple, at least in my city, multiple detox centers that will evaluate any patient at any hour, at any time for any addiction. Um, and I would discuss with social work about the possibility of getting transportation to one of these centers. Um, in the meantime, I would order the tests that these centers like the patients to come with, um, which this is... Again, very specific for my big city, but they prefer a negative COVID test and a urine drug screen. Sure. She asks you more about detox and says that she is scared to detox. What would you tell her? Um, I would tell her that, you know, she and I would be blunt with her that she could have died today and that this is a real problem and may one day, if not addressed, eventually, you know, kill her. Um, and that this is a serious issue that she needs help with. Okay. And you mentioned that you would discharge her uh, with some naloxone. Are there any other safety things that you would like to discuss? I would, you know, it, it sounds like she is injecting drugs. She has track marks on her arms. I would um, definitely discuss um, places to get safe needles if she were to continue. Um, and... Yeah, that's really it. Show her and I guess her friends how to use the naloxone if they're still here. All right. That ends your case. Before we go through how you did, I would like to thank our sponsor for the month, Pearson Ravitz Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Ravitz is my personal disability and life insurance agent. We talk quite a bit about disability insurance, specifically the importance of having a solid own occupation, personal policy that you carry with you through your career. But let's talk about the other area that Pearson Ravitz specializes in, 
life insurance. Life insurance is the policy that will give your loved ones money if you die so that they are taken care of. Many of us, including myself, are the primary financial support for our families or will soon be the primary financial support for our families. If you are in the situation where your loved ones are financially dependent on you and they are somewhat financially screwed if you die or if you think you're going to be in that situation in the future, you need a life insurance policy to protect them. And just like disability insurance, the sooner you buy it, the cheaper it's going to be because you're healthier. You can set the beneficiary to whoever you want at any time. I've told you this story before, but one of the biggest reasons why I trust Stephanie Pearson versus all the other agents out there is because when I approached her about buying life insurance, the very first thing that she said was, just to be clear, Zach, you need to be buying term life insurance, nothing else. Now, I knew that from my situation going in, um, that that was what I needed to buy. But I also knew that agents out there can make lots of money by selling me other types of policies, many of which are complete trash. She didn't try to sell me any anything like that. And so in that moment, I knew I could trust her. And you can trust her too. Go to www.pearsonrabbits.com, get in touch with them, protect your family. Now, back to to our case. All right, Mike, kind of a different, a couple different style things here on this one. What do you think? How do you think you did? I think it went okay. Um, I think some of the questions threw me off a little bit. You know, um, this patient, unfortunately, is a common patient to see in the emergency room. And um, most <laughs> the questions like, you know, what other tests would you like? Most of the time, I'm not ordering many tests at all on these patients. Um, you know, urine drug screens don't change my management in the ER. It's very rare that I actually work these patients up for anything um, because it's usually quite obvious what's going on. But um, I think that threw me a little bit for a loop. But otherwise, I'm curious as to regional variations and how this is done. Sure. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of regional variations. Um, you did great. Okay. So you administered the, the critical actions were administer naloxone, minimize unnecessary testing, um, discuss options for rehab and opiate replacement therapy and provide social support. And you did all of those things. I thought this would be an interesting way to do one of these types of cases because you're going to have cases on the test where it's not, again, this like high octane resuscitation. Like you, you'll probably have at least one that's more of like a social, like a socially nuanced type case. And it's not about um, doing a whole bunch of stuff and administering a whole bunch of medications. It's really about uh, the conversation you'll have with a patient or with the patient's family. And they're, they're going to test you on that too. Like that's a component of something that they, they test you on. I have no idea if they'll test you with that in a structured interview style case, although it seems like a good spot to do it. Um, but, you know, there's like generally speaking, you want to err on the side of doing tests. But if it's very clear that the patient doesn't need additional testing, you know, they're testing to make sure that you're not just getting, putting in a bunch of orders just because like, so there are scenarios where you don't want to get testing if it's clear that there's no other testing that's indicated. Um, I think like the true like medical key action here would be the naloxone on the test, on the test day and probably checking the blood sugar, but EMS had already checked. Um, and then there's kind of this social discussion on opiate use disorder. How bad is it where you're at? Uh, it is pretty darn bad. Um, yeah, every, at least every single shift I see I'm sorry, every single shift I see at least one true like overdose, like brought in by EMS, was found unresponsive, vaginally breathing. We gave, you know, whatever, four of intranasal naloxone. Now they're awake, breathing spontaneously, like every single day. We, it's the same story. It's 
it's sad. It's really sad. And I'm curious, what what's kind of the practice pattern when you have these patients with non-fatal overdoses? Like what, besides watching them, well, actually, that's my question too. Like, so how long would you watch them? I could have asked that. That would have been an interesting question. Like, how long would you watch them? Um, and then from like a social perspective, what are you doing for these, these patients? Yeah, so um, my experience, I think, you know, I'm still at the, the level where I, I have an idea of what I'm going to do when I'm independent, but I also know which attendings are more conservative and which are more liberal um, with management. So for me as a resident right now, the answer is dependent on my attending anywhere from two to four hours. Um, I'll probably be somewhere in the middle when I'm on my own, but that's kind of what we see. We get an AccuCheck um, up front, we do a good trauma exam, make sure there's no signs of trauma. And then if they have any sort of respiratory depression that results in, you know, apnea or a drop in their pulse ox, then that's when we'll, we'll kind of give Narcan. Or if they're just completely un, unarousable, you know, like you're giving nail bed pressure, sternal rub as hard as you can, and they're still not budging. Those are really the only times that we're um, reversing them. Interesting. Otherwise, we'll just let them, as we like to say, metabolize to freedom. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, I tend to watch them probably around two hours as well. Usually by the time they come in, by the time I'm done evaluating them, putting in my initial or, you know, kind of talking to them and all that kind of stuff. It's usually been about a half hour. I usually say, you know, let's watch them for an hour, see how they're doing, at which point I usually go and kind of reassess them and make sure their vitals are still stable and they're still awake. And then I, you know, start to print discharge instructions and usually around two hours, assuming that they're wide awake, um, is kind of when I'm getting them out. So I guess I'm more on the aggressive side. Interesting. Um, the other thing I would, I was going to ask you, so like, as far as the social resources, like you had mentioned, um, buprenorphine naloxone and which is suboxone for everyone that's listening, brand name. Um, but it is a generic medication now. What, what are you seeing from your attendings there? Cause I'll tell you where I'm at locally. Almost no one is giving this medicine. So, um, I see it. We have a few attendings who are ex-wavered and can prescribe it. Um, however, more frequently, we're initiating it in the ER, um, and anyone can do that without an X waiver, as long as they have a cow score greater than a certain number, like a clinical opiate withdrawal score greater than a certain number. Um, and it's just based on our EDs and hospital policy. Um, it's literally algorithmic, you know, cow score greater than 12, you initiate at this dose, greater than 16, you initiate at this dose, etc. Um, so I've done it a couple times in the ER, but it's the number of times a pa I always offer it. It's rare that a patient wants, truly wants to initiate Suboxone and they are also eligible for it, meaning they're having significant enough withdrawal symptoms in the ER. Gotcha. Yeah. So again, we're not giving a ton of it locally. I'm one of a very few handful of attendings that are wavered myself. Um, and so for everyone that's listening, we're going to talk a lot about this in the in the deep dive this month, because I think it's an important medication for us to know. And you're not necessarily going to learn it just from being on rotations and stuff, because a lot of attendings don't give it at all. Um, it, our hospital doesn't have a suboxone or a buprenorphine naloxone policy. Um, it's kind of very attending dependent. And so, um, but we're going to talk all about this at the deep dive later this month. Um, any other final thoughts on the case, Mike? Um, um, I think we covered everything. I think it's really important to do a trauma exam for these patients 
Um, you never know. You know, they're sitting on a toilet seat. They inject and they fall and crack their skull. You know. Yeah. Um, getting an AccuTech up front is important. Um, I guess the one stylistic thing I'm curious as to your practice. What is your threshold for giving naloxone? For me, it's pulse ox desaturation or like utter total unresponsiveness. Yeah, I'm about the same. Um, it's if they're desaturating. I mean, they're pretty – if they have to be pretty unresponsive for me to wake them up because otherwise I'm just letting them metabolize. Like if they're controlling their airway, I'm just going to let them sit there. I'm not going to be too aggressive with it. Um just give it some time. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I'm pretty, I don't give a ton of it. It is interesting. Like you get so used to the paramedics giving it now that I've had a couple patients come in like unresponsive. And if the paramedic, if they come in by EMS and the, the medics miss it, cause they kind of get on the wrong track and they think it's like a stroke alert or something, you know, and they kind of go down the wrong path. Um, it's actually a really hard thing to consider giving in the ED, I found. Like, you, you kind of catch yourself and be like, oh, wait, we need to maybe try this. And I've had, you know, stroke alerts and stuff open their eyes before. Um, it's kind of hard to pivot off of wherever EMS places you and, um, like, what, you know, kind of what they're, the way they phrase the case. And if they don't give the naloxone and they come by EMS, it's sometimes hard to remember that, you know, you have to check and make sure it's been given. So, anyways. Um, only other thing I'll say is on safety stuff. Uh, you mentioned like clean needles, you know, clean cotton, not licking needles, using in groups, um, using like a tester dose. If you have a new supply, you know, use a little bit before you use a lot of it type of a thing. Like those are all things you can tell people to do. So, and then, um, yeah, in the deep dive, I don't know if you've, you mentioned safety needles. You didn't really, oh, and the naloxone, obviously you didn't mention too many other safety precautions. No. All right. Well, that wraps it up, everybody. Um, I look forward to doing the deep dive with you. And um, send us emails, Zach at emclerkship.com, Mike at emclerkship.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.